Hey everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are sheltered in place, just like you should be. Ben Gulker and I talk about what we would have liked to see from the Pistons to close the season, uh, what the NBA trying to squeeze in some more playoff games could look like, and John Hollinger's piece in The Athletic regarding the Pistons roster during this rebuild. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the social conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this uh, off-season season. With all that said... It's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host. Lazarus Jackson, pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm very fortunate to be doing well. Um, Had a little bit of a scare early on in this mess. Both of my kids got sick. Long story short is they had some of those concerning symptoms you don't want to have after a visit to some extended family, but we're super fortunate. We did get ordered to quarantine, which was a super weird phone call to get. Uh, that lasted around 10 days, but we were lucky in that we were able to get tested relatively quickly and, and everyone's fine and healthy. So yeah, feeling very fortunate, man. Um, I hope everyone who's listening is staying strong and doing well uh, too. How the heck are you, man? It's been a while. It's been it's been a good long time. We We're doing okay. Um, we did not have the scare that you had, and we are fortunate, uh, that that didn't happen. Um, both of us are able to work from home. So that's what we've been doing essentially for the last three weeks. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like it's as bad down here just yet. I think there are, uh, like something like fewer than a thousand cases confirmed in the state. Um, last time I checked and I have made it a point not to check obsessively as I was like two weeks ago. I was burning myself out trying to figure out like everything I could and that wasn't sustainable. But yeah, like we're just, we're, we're hanging out. We're, we're working from home. We are very, it's very nice that we have like a walking trail around our subdivision. So when we like need to go outside to get out of the house, we have a place to do so. That's not um, like overpopulated with people we could run into or anything. And so, yeah, it's just been it's been uh, a very odd experience, but one that I think we'll be able to like keep undergoing for the foreseeable future, which is where this thing is headed, obviously. So what's uh, I want to I wanted to make a little bit of light of this, though, the whole situation. What's what's different in your house, Ben, now that now that everyone is stuck in the same place for, uh, you know, 20 hours a day? Yeah, what a wild experience. Um, So my wife and I are both fortunate that we are able to work from home. Sounds like you guys are as well. Um, We were both deemed essential workers in Michigan. Our Michigan listeners probably understand what all that means because you've probably been 
paying close attention to the news. In Michigan, we are under a stay-home order. Um, Non-essential businesses have all been closed. Um, So it's pretty surreal. Um, You know, my wife and I are both managing to work at home full-time with two little kids. Uh, We've got, you know, a three-year-old and a little guy who's about eight months old. And we've done a couple of those weeks with no child care. Um, And then we've had some support over the last week and a half, two weeks, which has been a godsend because uh, that first little bit was really hard trying to juggle schedules. But yeah, we're fortunate. You know, I know there's a lot of folks who are out of work right now. Unemployment's been expanded, but I I know that it doesn't cover 100% of wages. So we feel really, really lucky. Uh, Even though it's a surreal feeling, um, we're really happy to be where we're at. And um, adjusting to what could be a few months of a, a really weird normal. You know, this desk that I'm standing at right now, this was my podcast space and it's transformed over the last month into this full-time sort of battle station with multiple monitors set up and, you know, four to five hours a day on conference calls. So uh, yeah, it, just a totally different life. Laz, when we were chatting before we started, you mentioned that days just seem to run together and gosh, I mean, there's no better way to say it. It, It's just so hard to differentiate one day to the next. Um, But yeah, crazy life, crazy time. And and worst of all, maybe last, no live sports to keep us sane in the midst of all this crazy. Right. Have you have you been watching any of the stuff that they've tried to put on in place of the live sports? We've got the the video game tournaments, we got the the old school games, any of that stuff holding any appeal? So, you know, I I haven't watched the video game tournament, although I've been sort of keeping up with it. So I actually am interested in esports and I have been for a number of years, but I've never really been interested in the NBA 2K esports side of it. So it's been interesting to see some of that. Um, those replays though, man, when it comes to the Pistons, it's hard to imagine worse, (laughs) worse (laughs) memories to be reliving. So no, I, it was a hard pass for me when I saw what, what game they were going to be showing. But, you know, I did stumble down the YouTube rabbit hole a little bit. There's the Michael Jordan documentary that's going to be coming out soon. Um, And I know this is going to be like, this is going to put me in heretic land for some folks, but I loved watching Michael Jordan play, especially the second time around. Uh, Those were my teenage years. And I was just in awe of what that team accomplished. So I've been, I've been watching some YouTube highlights, but I've also been balancing that out with some vintage Grant Hill back when he was within the Pistons. So that's kind of where my sports energy has focused. I don't, I don't want to hear the name Robert Ory right now. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I, I had a tweet that blew up when they, uh, when the NBA announced they were, they were showing as part of like their like flashback tour or whatever, the uh, game seven of the 05 finals. I was like, I, I it's like, I'm not a huge fan of myself, but like, I don't hate myself that much to like do that again. And uh, we put the, Sean put the thread up. Uh, the game thread up for uh, for the site, and uh, afterwards I was like, "Well, did did history change? Did uh, did Larry Brown continue coaching the team after halftime?" And it's like, "Oh no, okay, well then, you know, there's no purpose of me watching this. You know, hopefully, uh, eventually we'll get to a point where the bad boys come back around. We'll get some uh, some eighty nine ninety finals action uh, in in terms of the flashback action. But yeah, like." Like you mentioned, uh, it's it's been kind of rough not having any any live sports. You know, I've been trying to supplement some of that with some film study of the current guys. 
um, been trying to uh, do a lot of draft work uh, that you guys will see up on the site whenever we get a better idea of when the draft is actually going to happen, which Lord knows what uh, what situation that's kind of piling up into. But yeah, like, no, that and actually that kind of brings me to what I I guess I wanted to kick the podcast off with, which which is the uh, the major sport uh, conference call summit that uh, that Adam Silver attended as part of the uh, the president's hopes to get leagues up and running in the not too distant future. Um, the the commissioner of the NBA and the commissioner of a lot of other major sports uh, met with the White House to uh, to talk about like when they thought the there would be able to be large gatherings and uh, to a return to sports, some return to normalcy. And the word we got from Adam Silver was, I think, uh, a good one. And that when the public health officials say that it is safe for us to return to normalcy, to have fans uh, gathered in large games, like that is when that's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, that we don't know exactly when that's going to be. There are a lot of unknowns uh, out there right now. But uh, the word around the league is that the regular season is essentially uh, not going to happen. There is a we got a report from Brian Windhorst of ESPN on SportsCenter that there is a significant amount of pessimism, quote unquote, that the regular season will return. Ben, uh, is that surprising to you? Do you kind of think that was you think that was going to happen? What do you think of the uh, the significant pessimism that the regular season is going to return? Yeah, I'll just be as blunt as I can. I think this is absolutely uh, the right decision to make. I don't think the NBA should return this season, at least not in the format we know it. And when I say that, I mean fans in the stadium, employees staffing the concessions, etc. Um, you know, I just think I am I'm really, really glad to hear Adam Silver say, you know, we're going to take the R nod from public health and from science because We're literally in an unprecedented time in our society right now. Um, Other societies around the world have dealt with issues like this in our lifetimes, lad. But, you know, this is the first time our society has had to come to grips with something like this. So I am really glad uh, that the NBA's leadership is listening to the science. And look, the science is pretty clear on this virus. Until we've got a vaccine, you know, all it takes is one uh, infection to spark an outbreak. And think about Anytime you've ever been at a sports venue uh, in terms of like a college event or professional event, I mean, that's like uh, a living Petri dish, right? I mean, you've got people jammed up one on top of the other, very poor ventilation, you know, unless you're at an outdoor college football game or something like that. So, you know, to me, I I think it's the right call and and I'm glad the NBA is pretty much closing the door on the season as we know it. Now, having said that, like I could imagine a scenario where Uh, The NBA returns and professional sports return in a format that looks a little bit different. You know, right now, testing for the coronavirus is still not where we want it to be in our society. But when we get there and we've got a surplus of tests available, I could certainly imagine scenarios where you've got professional athletes and other types of professional entertainers who are getting tested on a, you know, almost a daily basis and able to do uh, entertainment and sports via live TV. And I would be all for that because Lord knows a lot of us 
are going stir crazy in our houses right now. But yeah, in terms of, you know, big crowds and, and the, the noise of the stands, in spite of the fact that it's hard to lose all of that, kudos to Adam Silver and really the rest of the owners and players who have all sort of stepped up to this new normal uh, and have chosen uh, to make the right decision uh, for the good of the public right now. Yeah, I I wonder uh, about how if the if they choose to uh, try and continue the season in in uh, basically to continue the the playoffs, I wonder what form that'll take. Right, like you think there's been rumors of a consolidation of players in a you know a secure site uh, in like the Bahamas or something or. You know, you put everybody up in Vegas, uh, which has a you know a bunch of empty hotels right now, and just uh, see how. And you, like you said, when they have enough tests to do daily testing, how that would work in providing uh, you know TV content for their partners, which is I'm sure a major concern of some of the owners. But I don't know. I've been trying to like mull this over in my head about how I think it would go. And, you know, while the players may be getting daily tests and like that would be very important, you know, there's so many other people that, you know, are support staff that would also have to be tested again because this virus is so is so virulent. Um, you know, you'd have to get, you know, the athletic staff uh, tested daily. You'd have to get the like the whoever is setting up the, the TV crew um, and everything like you have to get those individuals tested. Um, you know, I was listening to Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons' podcast and, you know, Zach Lowe brought up a great point. It was like if they, you know, sequester the NBA players and uh, take a giant surplus of tests in order to, to finish the season, is that honestly the best allocation of resources for something that, you know, the entire country is dealing with uh, pretty poorly? And, and that that's a that's a that's a more moral question than I think the NBA would like to have to answer uh, in order to get, uh, you know, what kind of cable revenue they want. And so I don't know, it's, it's really tricky. And I would hope that they find a way to make it happen. Uh, but at the same time, like if it didn't, I would, I would understand, you know? Yeah, I completely hear you. I think the moral question is, is really the hard one. Um, you know, I hope that we are on the cusp of some breakthroughs in the scientific community. There was just an article in the Chicago Tribune. It was either today or yesterday uh, that I read. There's a new test in development that will give results within a handful of minutes and also will contain information about markers that are linked to an individual's immunity, right? So if those kind of things can hit the market within the next few weeks, then you know, maybe we're closer to some of these things coming to fruition than we maybe think. But, you know, I'm thinking about this, you know, as a father, as someone who's trying to protect my family, like, I can't even imagine going to, um, you know, an NBA arena or a college football stadium in the next year. I mean, that, that might sound crazy, but, um, you know, all it takes is one one person to be infected for it to spread like crazy. Uh, so, you know, this season, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll be fortunate enough to have some sort of a playoffs, but I would assume the NBA is probably even thinking longer term, right? Because we're still 12 to 18 months away from a vaccine. So this thing is, you know, it's always one infection away from an outbreak until we get some larger herd immunity. So, you know, 
is next season like what does next season even look like right i mean those are those have got to be live questions i would think that they're talking about right now no absolutely and from everything that we've seen right the we are near but not over the peak of whatever the virus is going to look like in this country um and then you know there are it's april the season would you know usually the nba season would usually start in you know late october early november that is what six months away right now that is a long time that is a that is a long time to get the virus under control that's a long time to uh you know get a lot of rapid advances in testing um that's a long time to uh have the social distancing uh be a little bit more strictly enforced and uh to kind of track the virus and and spread uh stop the spread of it that way but uh yeah at the same time if you're trying to you know finish the finish the NBA playoffs in August and then you know turn around and start the season in November like that doesn't sound great for the players who are participating in the playoffs either right like there are going to be guys who you know guys aren't able to work out right now unless you've got you know facilities uh in in your like place of residence you know i think there was a like Giannis antetokounmpo was was talking about like how like he you know he was you know he's a league mvp but like he doesn't have a gym in his house right he can't he can't get the work that other guys can get in and like what kind of if the season were to return like what kind of competitive disadvantage would he be at uh, because of that and so it's just like is a lot of a lot of uh cascading factors that uh get into a point where uh it it's very it's very difficult to see what like the future looks like for the NBA, you know, three, four, five, six months from now. Something that I think that is a little bit easier for us to answer, though, is uh, our individual assessments of kind of where this the rest of the season was going uh, for the Detroit Pistons. So, Ben, now that uh, now that we are kind of just assuming that the rest of the regular season isn't going to happen. What uh what unanswered questions do you have that uh, you were hoping were going to be answered in the in the last twenty games of the year? Yeah, Les, I I'm still in the scenario where I subscribe to the Pistons calendar via Google Calendar via Pistons.com, and I haven't been able to bring myself to unsubscribe. So every few days I get that calendar notification, Pistons at Nets or whatever it is at seven p.m. and you know, I'm reminded, oh man, life is just not normal right now. So anyway, to your question, I'm going to throw two things out there uh, that for me, I was looking forward to in spite of the fact that, man, it's crazy to even be talking about basketball again, but a month ago, the season was pretty much lost anyway, right? But there's two things I was really looking forward to. First one, I really wanted to see Luke Kennard get some minutes with the fully liberated Christian Wood. Right. So from the fan perspective, I think this just would have been a lot of fun to see. I really would have liked to see uh, the extent to which those two guys could have developed some sort of a two man game. Um, You know, Wood with his ability to stretch the floor. You've not only got a pick and roll with Kennard's ball handling skills and Wood's ability to elevate and finish at the rim, but you've also got some pick and pop and and other types of interesting options. So I really would have liked to see that as a fan. And I think from the franchise perspective, both of those guys are guys you've got to make decisions about really soon, right? So I think uh, it would have been useful. That would have been useful information for the franchise to have sort of at its fingertips. 
And the second thing, uh, one of these guys is the same, but I really would have liked to explore uh, the Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard backcourt. Uh, as much as Dwayne Casey has been reluctant to label Bruce Brown a point guard, and I know that's much to your chagrin, Laz. I know you hate that. I think there's some really natural synergies that are worth exploring in those two players. Offensively, obviously, we've got some complementary skill sets and some redundancies that I think actually work out really well together. Both of those guys can handle the ball. Both of those guys can distribute the basketball. And at least to some degree, both of those guys can spot up uh, and shoot, right? So they can stretch the floor. Bruce, right now, currently limited to the corner three. Kennard, a little more versatile in terms of his shooting. So I think when you've got two guards who can do both of those things, right? Both of them can spot up. Both can pass. Both can handle the ball. I think that's interesting. Uh, And I think it's unfortunate because Bruce is another guy, right? The Pistons are going to have to decide on, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute I know and then defensively right we sort of know the story there Bruce is much better much more versatile but if you play them in the same backcourt together you've got Bruce sort of compensating for some of Luke's weaknesses where they can sort of switch on and off based on matchups so both young players potentially part of the core moving forward uh, I would like to see those guys play a little bit more together uh, now that they've both sort of grown into themselves a bit and realized some of their potential so for me, you know, those are the two things that stand out. Yeah, I would have I would have loved to see Luke and Christian Wood play together just because uh, those are definitely the two most uh, are those are two of the more dynamic offensive players this team has. And so you would definitely want them to develop some chemistry, especially if both of them are going to be around in the long term, which is an open question, but something you would definitely want to explore. And, you know, you would also like to see how uh, how Luke was going to look with the ball in his hands more. Um, that's something a lot of people had clamored for. He had had that role earlier in the year with much success. The injury, I think, definitely slowed his play to a point where uh, it was better that he was, wasn't playing for the team. But, you know, if, you know, this draft is lining up for the Pistons to Uh, take another primary ball handler or another secondary ball handler. Uh, You want to know where that guy would be on the pecking order in relationship to Luke Kennard. And so like, yeah, it's just really unfortunate. And you know, Luke was what, like weeks away from playing. Uh, If, if the season was still ongoing, Luke would probably be playing right now. And so it was, it was just really unfortunate timing uh, for all of this from a, from a development perspective. Uh, The other thing that I would have liked to see, is the progression or uh, stagnation of Christian Wood as a defensive player, right? I think that is going to be something that is really important for this team moving forward if Christian Wood is going to be here long term. Um, the the Christian Wood struggles on defense are you know well cataloged, but he had definitely been giving more uh, effort and attention to that end of the floor, you know, as, as he was, uh, was thrust into like a, a starting role, I would have liked to see that continue. And, you know, if you're going to invest in a guy like Christian Wood, um, if you're going to invest in any big man in this day and age, you need that individual to be able to play defense. And so I was really curious to see how that progression was going on. You know, that was an eternal frustration of, of Dwayne Casey um, you know, you, I would have liked to see how how that progressed. 
And then, you know, last but not least, I, you know, Seku was really struggling um, as the season was uh, coming. He was just, his play was very uneven. He had gotten to a point where he was being, you know, swapped back and forth again between Grand Rapids and Detroit. Um, His play uh, was really inconsistent. And I would have liked to see him find a little bit more rhythm and consistency in the last couple of weeks of the season. But at the same time, I do have to wonder kind of openly that uh, if a break wasn't uh, a good thing for him, right? Like he had played more basketball up to that point than he probably ever had in his entire life. Um, he had, you know, the struggles uh, had had to be have uh, wearing on him mentally. And that's something that, you know, we were concerned about um, openly on this podcast. And so I wonder if a little break from the game to get his mind right, um, to get away from the game of basketball and kind of focus on something a little bit more important combined with, you know, the opportunity to, to work on his game, you know, later when we have this thing more under control, when you're able to go to a gym, when you're able to see a a skill development guy or something like that, but just the, the opportunity to kind of take, take a break from the game on the mental side um, that might end up being a a good thing for Seku Dumbuya. What do you think of that, Ben? Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, I, I think going back to anyone who ever played basketball, middle school, high school, college level, you know, you make your biggest strides as an individual in terms of developing your skill set when you have extended time off, right? So it's the summer, it's the off season uh, when you're most likely to make big individual gains. So I think that's completely fair. And then one thing I want to piggyback off of in terms of your Christian Wood comments, which I, I think are spot on. You know, Christian Wood has been in a situation for his entire NBA career where he's trying to justify a roster spot, right? When you're that kind of player um, and you have a specific skill set like Christian has, I could certainly understand why a player in his scenario where he's just trying to prove that he belongs would not spend a sufficient amount of time developing his defensive skills and developing his team defense. That totally makes sense to me. So I think your point is exactly right. Um, Over the long term, I I think it's possible, at least I think there's good reasons to be optimistic that Christian Wood can be a better defensive player. Will ever be good? That's an entirely different question. But could he improve? I think that's completely feasible. And I don't think it's crazy to think that because I I think it's fair to assume that he's probably spent the overwhelming majority of his developmental time uh, on his offensive game, trying to get somebody's attention. Look, I can play now that he's here. Now that he's justified the investment, right? He deserves a roster spot. It's time for him to grow and develop and start to cultivate those things uh, where he just hasn't spent a lot of time to this, this point so far in his career. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great point, Ben. For a guy who's just trying to hang on to the league, you know, scoring always gets you more noticed uh, than than defense. Uh, apparently, it, it appears that way. I can understand why he would think that. Um, you know, there's there was uh, there's still been a lot of content out there about the Pistons during this time. Uh, we had our, our good friend of the podcast, James Edwards of the Athletic, had a piece with a uh, former NBA front office person, John Hollinger, about the uh, the state of the Pistons. And one of the more uh, interesting aspects I wanted to, to pull at of, of that piece in this podcast was uh, Hollinger proposed 
paying uh, Bruce Brown, whose restricted free agency is coming up, I think, the season after this one. He proposed paying uh, Bruce Brown uh, 30 to $35 million for like three to four years. Um, ben, what do you think? Uh, do you think Bruce Brown has merited a $35 million investment uh, in his play so far? Yeah. So, you know, I have over the course of, of my fandom <laughs> Um, and in terms of my investment of time into statistical analysis, Hollinger is obviously one of the first guys who really made headway in that department. But I've been at odds with him a lot, right? Like I haven't agreed with his analysis a lot of the time. But I think he might actually be pretty close to accurate here with Bruce Brown. Um, a three-year contract for $30 million, um, does not sound crazy to me. We don't know exactly where salary caps are going to land, et cetera. So maybe there's some room on the margins there. Um, but to me, I think um, the leap that Bruce made from year one to year two is is really significant. Laz, you, you saw this before most other people and, and deserve kudos for that. But I think the thing that really impressed me about Bruce Brown this year was his ability to knock down the corner three, right? And we've even seen some of the guys from DBB uh, write about this. This appears to have been Bruce's main focus a summer ago, right? He was just shooting corner three after corner three, working on improving that part of his game. He was able to make a significant and sustained improvement over the course of an entire NBA season. And look, I, I think it's worth pointing out that that is not always a given for lottery picks, right? Let alone a guy who was sort of a second round cast off who no one really saw coming. So, you know, to me, um, the Pistons are going to have a little bit of an advantage here because they have two years of seeing Bruce in the gym that no one else has seen. And if Bruce Brown is capable of making the offensive leap where he's not just a corner three guy, He's also a guy who can handle the ball and get to the rim. He's also a guy who's a very low turnover guy. One of Bruce's most unsung qualities is he's very low turnover. And he can also pass. If he can add on to that some consistency from other places beyond the arc, besides just the corner, then yeah, I don't think there's any question that he's worth that kind of money. And the Pistons really are kind of lucky in the sense that they may have a better eye on that than the rest of the NBA. So, uh, yeah, I, I I would be okay with something like that if, if Bruce Brown's offensive ceiling hasn't been reached yet. No, I mean, you gave me a lot of credit, and I got to say, like, I can't I can't take the bulk of the credit for that because clearly the Pistons' developmental staff, like, also saw something, right? And they helped bring Bruce to this point. And, you know, Bruce is, uh, deserves a lot of credit himself for, for elevating his play. But, I, yeah, I, I got to say, you know, in today's NBA, right, a, a rotation quality guard who gives you a lot on both ends of the floor and, uh, you know, isn't necessary and is a guy you can't completely ignore on the perimeter. Like that is, that's a guy who is probably worth, you know, eight figures, you know, would you want to play, would you want to pay Bruce, you know, 15, 16, $17 million a year? Probably not. That's probably a touch high, but you know, in, in the neighborhood of what Tony Snell is currently making. Absolutely. Right. Like that's, that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. And so, yeah, I'm, 
I was really encouraged that I'm really encouraged that anybody who takes a close look at the Pistons on the national stage comes away impressed with uh, what Bruce Brown like has to offer. Um, I know the Pistons are not a team that got a, a lot of nationals shine and, you know, deservedly so uh, this season. But, you know, you hear kind of rumblings, guy, anybody who, you know, pays attention to a, a 10 game stretch, you get the occasional like Christian Wood national piece that also mentions uh, Bruce Brown's development as a passer type situation. And so I'm I do feel pretty good about, you know, keeping Bruce Brown on uh, for this on like that type of contract. Uh, on this team but this also kind of goes to right the the importance of just more darts in terms of the draft right like bruce brown was the was a you know mid second mid uh second round pick in a draft where the pistons you know traded two future second round picks to take somebody above him right they then traded for another guy who had been taken in the second round higher than him in in um, you know, you know, in the past, the draft after that, they picked up, you know, two more guys in, in the second round. Um, you, you pick up, you do these things, you make these transactions in order to uh, have as many chances of finding a rotation player as possible. And it seems like you've hit on at least two rotation players in, in Bruce Brown and Sfi Luke. And so I hope that the Pistons office front office continues to know keep that strategy in mind this offseason uh i hope they you know find a way to maneuver with some of the other teams in the league and and add some more draft picks because that is ultimately like what's going to bring us up out of the rebuild is the the development of young players that the pistons are are taking you know a multitude of chances on you know uh this offseason all right ben um there was uh there was, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about and that was kind of Luke Kennard's restricted free agency rights. Um, I'm curious to know where you would evaluate Luke at, um, coming into uh coming into this offseason. You know, with the injury troubles, we didn't really get a chance. We didn't get the chance to to see him play like we we talked about earlier this podcast. Um, this is the second straight year he's dealt with injuries throughout uh throughout the season. Um. Luke Kennard is is positioning himself to make a lot of money. He's a guy the Pistons have already put on the trade block. Um, you know, there was the rumors. There was a definite acknowledgement that he was on the trade block, and then there were the rumors specifically of a trade with him to the Phoenix Suns. Um, so I just I want to talk to you a little bit, Ben, about you know where you think Luke Kennard's value is at, at this current point in time. This is such a good question. I think the situation is actually more complicated than it appears at face value. And before I dive into my take about it, like I, I just want to state like my evaluation of how the Pistons ought to handle the business side of this and my evaluation of Luke Kennard as a basketball player are not necessarily the same thing. Like I'm a fan of Luke Kennard as a basketball player. Um, I think we have a pretty good sense of who he is. We know his strengths and his weaknesses, um, but how the Pistons choose to manage the business part of that could get pretty tricky. So, you know, from my perspective, I think teams and franchises, given the way that the rules are written, hold pretty much all of the cards when it comes to restricted free agency. Um, When it comes to Luke's 
restricted free agency in particular, I'm actually more comfortable than I would have thought letting the market set some of his value. And the main reason for this, well, there's there's two main reasons. The first one is the injury history, right? So there's, as you mentioned, two seasons of pretty significant injury history and a, a lot of time missed, right? As a rebuilding franchise, you don't want to go invest a whole bunch of money into a guy who's only going to give you 50 games a season, right? The Pistons just can't afford to do that. Um, so I, I think from the Pistons perspective, yeah, let the market set some of his value. I think you stay open throughout that process to any possibility. If you can come to you know a reasonable contract at a fair market value number before he gets an offer sheet, then yeah, by all means, sign it. But I think the the main pitfall here, and this is the second of my two things to talk about when it comes to Luke Kennard, is as a, as a franchise that is really rebuilding for the first time in a long time, the main mistake you don't want to make is that one really bad contract, right? Like you just don't want to overpay a guy, especially a guy with an injury history, and especially a guy who has some pretty clear deficiencies. And with Luke, that's his defense. Luke's obviously a good player. He can obviously contribute, and I think he's a net positive. But from the perspective of the Pistons as a rebuilding team, maybe the dollar amount you're willing to pay him this summer or a year from now is a little bit less than an already solid team who just needs to add, you know, that sixth or seventh man, right? Who's very good offensively and they can afford some defensive efficiencies. Maybe that team is willing to bid a little higher than you are and you have to realize that and move on. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of Luke's biggest fans. I'm a huge fan of the way he plays the game. I love his style of offense. He's very team oriented. He moves without the ball. He can shoot. He can pass. I love all of that stuff. Uh, but the Pistons absolutely cannot, in my opinion, afford to lock themselves into, you know, four years of Luke Kennard at above market value. Uh, because if you do that, you're handcuffing yourself and you're undermining what is the first rebuild in really a couple decades. So I think they really need to tread carefully here and be comfortable with some of the uncertainty that comes with the market setting his value. And then in the meantime, if the right trade comes along over the course of next season, whenever that ends up being, I think you've got to be open to that in spite of the fact that this is one of your guys, you drafted him, you developed him, but you know, you might be able to, you might have to be comfortable with trading him uh, for the good of the franchise over the long term. So that's my take. Laz, I'm really curious what you think about Luke Kennard as well. Well, I think I think you you missed a little something there that I think is really important, right? Like this is not the front office that drafted him. Right? Oh yeah, like, is, that's totally fair. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you have to wonder about you know if they're not necessarily as attached to a draft pick that they did not select, um, and what that kind of means for uh, for Luke as is in his future on on the Detroit Pistons. You know, I'm not going to, you made a bunch of great points. I agree with all of them. The only other thing I would like to add is that like, you know, with the Pistons undergoing a rebuild, you know, we haven't done the draft lottery yet. We don't know uh, where the Pistons are selecting, but it wouldn't be surprising if there were, you know, a number of other players 
at the top of this draft class that could kind of uh, supplant Luke Kennard. And so, you know, if the Pistons were to draft and Anthony Edwards say, you know, that would bode really poorly for Luke Kennard's future as a Detroit Piston. And so, you know, we, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know when that's going to happen. But again, like that's, that's just something that um, I think warrants mentioning, you know, uh, Luke Kennard can always be as much as we like him. And as much as we, I think it's a good idea to let the market decide in, in a good place, you know, you know, he could very easily be supplanted by a younger, uh, higher draft pick uh, in the not too distant future. Well, and I think the other thing that comes to mind when you talk about Luke Kennard is Fima Kai Luke, right? Like, I think Luke is a more complete offensive player than Svi if you take the entirety of their offensive games and put them next to each other. But the difference between Svi and Luke for a team like the Pistons is probably not the orders of magnitude that will be the differences between those two salaries, right? Like you can pay Luke or Svi, excuse me, a fraction of what you might end up paying Luke. And that might be good enough to keep you where you want to be. And they're going to be in a really good position with Sfi as well. Uh, so to me, like, even if you don't draft a guy like that, you've still got a fallback option. You know, you've got a productive NBA player in Sfi that you can fall back on should you need to. No, that's a great point. All right, Ben, the game against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday is delayed. The game against the Atlanta Hawks is postponed. And the game against the Miami Heat is is uh you know rescheduled so how many <laughs> i like it that was yeah. creative i like it uh no i, I appreciate that we got it we got to keep it a little bit lighthearted uh throughout this entire thing but no uh you know let the people know where they can find you where they can find uh, updates about you and your family during these these trying times uh let the people know what's up yeah come hit me at twitter if, if you're able to um life has been crazy this last month Les. um I have not had much free time and settling into new normalcy has been very challenging. I'm, I'm fortunate. We're fortunate to live in a day and age where we can stay connected to each other in spite of the fact that we're distant. And I w I would like to say I've interacted with a number of folks, DVB faithful via Twitter who've been um, very supportive and have been a source of strength for me as I was dealing with some tough stuff a month ago. So I appreciate you. You know who you all are. But yeah, at BR Golker on Twitter. There's not a lot of content on the blog right now because there's not a lot of basketball being played. Otherwise, they'd say the comments. But Twitter's always a good spot. Yeah. I, you know, social distancing, it's more physical distancing than social distancing, right? We can all still talk to each other. Uh, we can all still communicate. We, we still love to talk to you guys. Um, we're sorry that it's taken us this long to get the podcast together. But again, you know, life was happening and basketball wasn't. And so there were there were more important things than this podcast. But it is really nice to get back to some semblance of normalcy and, and offer this uh, to the audience once more. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And we'll talk to you guys in the future sometime. I don't know what the schedule is going to look like. I don't know what life life is a endless ocean of opportunities. We'll we'll figure some stuff out. But uh, until then, we'll we'll talk to you guys in the future. <laughs>